Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. You are what you eat, or so the saying goes. And if you have certain medical conditions like diabetes, kidney problems, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, even cancer, then what you eat is almost as important as the other medicines that you might take for your diagnosis. So how do you know what's good to eat and what's not? Is there a way to make healthy food taste good? Well, today we're going to find out. Kelly McDaniel, registered dietitian, and Judy Thompson, certified diabetes educator and nutritionist from Queens Medical Center are in the studio. They're going to help make nutrition make sense no matter what health issues you have. This is part one of our two-part series on knowing what to eat and how to use food as medicine for all of us. As always, you're part of this conversation, too, and you can join us at any time at 941-3689, toll-free, Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Kelly and Judy, nutritionist gurus, welcome to The Body Show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, now, Kelly, you're working at Queens Medical Center West, and Judy, you're heading up Queens Medical Center Punch Bowl for the nutrition areas. And, you know, a lot of people start the new year saying, that's it. I want to eat better this year. I want to get myself going. And January comes along, and here we are towards the end of January, and they're like, yes, it's my New Year's resolution. I am going to get to it. So let's talk a little bit about some of the recent changes and some of the dietary guidelines that have occurred in the last couple of years. What are the big things that we should be focusing on eating? And then, who? I'll, Kelly, I'll ask you that. And Judy, I'll ask you, what should we be avoiding? So first off, Kelly, what, what should we be eating? What should we be eating? Well, if you want to take it to its most simplistic level, eat real food. As opposed to? As opposed to food that's made, food products. Processed. I guess, yeah, is, is okay. the term I use. And it doesn't mean that everything that is manufactured is bad. But if you stop at the end of the day, you piled up everything you've eaten, how much of that is representing its natural form? So do you mean like eggs versus egg salad? Or do you mean having something like... Some form of a protein, let's say it's eggs, could be an egg salad, but isn't necessarily processed egg product of some type. I mean, does it matter how you're eating it? Yes, absolutely. And if you did just want to take it to like a real simplistic like snack level, let's say um, you could have a granola bar that was made and it's stuck together with, you know, rice syrup and this stuff. Or you could have a apple banana and some mac nuts. Okay, yeah. so we're, or you could just eat plain granola. Correct. It's not kind of crunched together with all the other stuff. Yes. But optimal would be a banana and mac nuts. Yeah, and then I would say that plain granola lives in the middle of the other two. It lives in the middle. It's like, it's like a spectrum. Okay, so I've noticed that if you looked at the guidelines that were put out by the Dietetic Association, you know, they have that like, here's how you should fill your plate. And it seems like it's changed over the last couple of years. And always the yummy stuff is on the top as just have a little bit. And then the, oh, it's so healthy for you, really wish it tasted better, green salad, lettuce, etc. is generally on the bottom, like fill your plate with more of this. So they've changed their guidelines a little bit. What have they put on there that we should eat more of? 
More vegetables. More I think vegetables. they're really focusing on. I mean, the plate says fruits and vegetables, but I don't know about you. I don't tend to eat fruit with my meals in general. So I think there is um, a focus on the vegetables. I am so glad they changed it because that old school food guide pyramid had all of those processed grains on the bottom. So I was really glad to see that move um, happen. But there is this huge thing on vegetables. But again, you know, that turns people away. And I think that if we can broaden the focus to just real food in general, then the vegetables would make their way in there, theoretically. Okay. What do you see as people who see you? You know, we often, you know, doctors, nurses, et cetera, will say we need to have a nutritionist consult and discuss with this individual what are healthy foods. When you mention your concept of real foods to the individuals that you counsel and see, what are some of the myths that they tell you that they believe about real foods that you're like, oh, no, no, that's so not it. Does anything strike you come to mind? Yeah, some things do. Unfortunately, it's not usually, oh, no, no. Like, they're actually usually right. So the biggest barrier to eating real food, some people say cost. I mean, that's definitely a thing. But if you shop smart, especially here on the island, like, you can find decent food. Um, I think the biggest barrier that is actually true is making sure it doesn't spoil. And then you have to cut it up. And sometimes you have to cook it, which takes time. And we are over-obligated um, in the biggest sense. So it makes sense that that's a barrier. So that's really where I the come in. The time barrier. Yeah. Okay. So what I do is I help them. I listen to their day. I hear everything they do, who they live with, who they're cooking for. And we just pick one thing and one way to integrate that in there so they don't feel overwhelmed. And, you know, it just makes it seem more feasible. So it's the time barrier. Yes, Absolutely. All right. Judy, I want to hear from you about things we should stop eating so much of. So we know we have to add some vegetables. We have to add real foods. If it looks like it is a piece of spinach lettuce, it probably is. Eat that. And don't necessarily fry it, although I can't imagine I'd ever eat fried spinach. I I don't think so. Um, But what should we eat less of? What is sort of the thing that we have to avoid having as much of? So you said you use the word processed. And I think um, that's uh, something to to avoid as much as possible is the processed foods, meaning you know things that are maybe coming out of some of the shiny wrappers and the. Give and me the some machines. examples. Are we talking about lunch meat? Uh, to some extent, yes. Okay. Um, things with added salt, added sugar, um, like a pop tart. A pop tart would would be we a good example about of a processed earlier. food. It's kind of processed. What exactly does a pop tart come from? I don't know of a pop tart plant. So if it doesn't come from from something that is natural, if it's processed to the point where it never expires, if there's lots of salt in there, not so much of that. Exactly. Exactly. Go back to uh, something that's as cl- closer to nature as possible. Um, Whole foods, not necessarily the whole food store, but whole foods meaning something that's as close to nature as possible. So like butter's close to nature. Why can't I just slather everything in butter? Makes my vegetables so much better. A little butter's okay, uh, but you wouldn't call butter a complete balanced meal. But it can be part of a balanced diet. It's what we do most of the time that matters. So one thing that I think the um, Dietetic Association has got right now, they call it the uh, Academy of Dietetics now, um, is... They've gotten smart. They got an academy. (laughs) Is talking about 
eating patterns, not diets, but it's, again, going back to what we do most of the time is what matters. So there's always going to be those times when we want some junk food, whatever that is, but uh, that should be in in the minority. You know, of course, we're going to have some processed food from time to time, but um, it's the overall pattern of what we're eating. Are you eating um, you know, those five servings a day of vegetables and fruits. Are you eating very few uh, trans and saturated fats? Are your protein foods lean and um, are you getting vegetarian um, beans and um, non-animal sources of protein and so forth? Uh, you know, kind of a little departure from the traditional American diet of 20, 30 years ago. Uh, more fiber we need. Anything with fiber is a good thing. Most so pe- give me an example. You know, we talk about don't have trans fats. And now I see on a lot of these a lot of these commercials or you see on boxes and be like, no, trans fats. And you're thinking, I never knew there were so many trans fats around. But, you know, what still has trans fats in it? If I were to go to the grocery store today and say, I'm going to search for foods with trans fats, not that, I'm, not that I want to, let's just pretend I'm doing an experiment. Where would I still find my trans fats? Uh, solid shortenings, things like um, probably cake icings. Uh, okay, so cake example. icing. And what about things like, like, do they even make Crisco anymore? They do. They do. Okay. So Crisco or other margarines, would they be trans fats? Uh, the margarines, not as much. They've, not as much. They've, they fixed been, that. They've gotten so much publicity okay. that it's I mean, because like there. McDonald's is like, we don't have trans fats in our fries. And yet that doesn't necessarily make them healthy. Well, correct. Um, so what because, else in a store might have these trans fats? And why, why don't I want to eat them? The uh, trans fats uh, can uh, raise cholesterol levels. And, so I don't yeah. want them because they're going to increase the cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Any yeah. other reason so, I don't so want we, them? So we prefer that people use the unsaturated fats, which are things like the vegetable oils and especially the vegetable oils that are what's called monounsaturated, the most famous of which is olive oil um, and canola oil. Sesame oil are more of the monounsaturated types of oils. So let's say I go to the oil section. I'm going to look for olive oil. I'm going to look for canola oil, maybe. Um, Sesame oil. What about coconut? It kind of like tastes yummy. Is that a good oil? Uh, it's it's okay. We still it still has a lot of saturated fatty acids in it. So the jury is still saying that perhaps don't load up on it. It okay. has some good qualities, but um, research is not convinced that it's okay to load up on it to use. So a if lot I'm going to load up on an oil, I'm probably going to load up on an olive oil. Correct. And then remember that all oils, whether they're saturated or unsaturated, are high in calories. So mm. if so, don't load up too much. If you're watching your weight, don't load up on any kind of okay. oil. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'd find my troubles would be like icing would have trans fats and you know other sorts of processed kind of stuff would have the trans fats. And if I'm going to make some, some, you know, oil and vinaigrette dressing, get some olive oil, but only a little bit. If you're watching your calories, right. And then look for hidden fats in things like fried noodles or biscuits or pizza dough. And, um, you know, if you're watching your total fat, limit those kind of foods. But they're hiding. So, you know, if they're hidden fats, does that mean that anytime I get a slice of pizza, I might be having a lot of fats? 
I mean, I guess when you think about the cheese and all the grease that's left over on your plate, I guess the answer is obvious. Exactly. Think about foods that leave grease on your napkin or your paper plate. And just be glad you didn't eat all that. Yeah, that's a clue that it was a pretty oily food. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about our producer David and his love of bacon in just a little bit. He's smiling over there. Yes, David, you have a bacon problem, but luckily only a couple of times a year. So if we think about it, you know, and we're talking about like an eighty twenty kind of deal. So if eighty percent of the time you're really good and twenty percent you fall off the wagon, you're still eighty percent really good. Focus on being the good. That's right. It, okay. That's right. It's the eating overall eating patterns. And then remember, diet is one component of health. There's a lot of other things that go into our health, such as our exercise and whether we smoke or don't smoke and our stress management and other th- things. You know, are you taking the medicine that you need and seeing your doctor for preventive health measures like vaccines and all those other things that go into good health. Sure, and they keep changing all those guidelines too. But speaking of exercise, Kelly McDaniel, you are an exercise physiologist. What does that mean? I know, right? Yeah. It's actually, so my certification is through the American... Excuse me, American College of Sports Medicine. Um, they're the ones who set out these guidelines of, you know, we need 150 minutes of exercise in a week and, and whatnot. So they're um, a well-respected um, governing body of exercise science. Um, they just came out with this exercise physiologist certification recently. It was previously called a health fitness specialist. Boo. Sound like I mean, what is that? Like, I don't know what that is either. Health fitness specialist, exercise physiologist. So, like, when we talk about our overall healthy attitude towards what we eat, part of that, and Judy mentioned, is also, you know, diet is one thing, it's also exercise. So, you know, I, I threw David under a bus earlier. I'm going to move the bus off of him and say, you know, he exercises all the time. He runs three times a week, he's walking 12 miles every weekend, and he's doing all this walking back and forth to work. So he's like a great example of someone for whom exercise is part of his daily routine. So when we talk about exercise, and we've talked about this a couple of times before on the show, it doesn't have to be all at once. It should be spread out throughout the week, making it part of your daily routine, whether it be walking back and forth from work or walking back and forth to the parking garage or where you park, better to get it in and make it part of your lifestyle. So then you do extra get the extra time when you can after work to do the exercise. Is that sort of what a physiologist does? Or how does this help you with your certification as a nutritionist? Are there certain things that people should eat before they exercise? I'm sure it all goes together, right? Oh, absolutely. All of the above. Everything you just said. So it was really important for me to get this certification through the American College of Sports Medicine because it differentiates me from a personal trainer. Um, What it indicates is that I have a clinical background. You actually have to have a degree in exercise science to even sit for the exam. And with that degree comes years of studying uh, metabolism at the cellular level, muscle physiology. So just a very in-depth. It's not like calories in, calories out kind of stuff. We're talking about how do the muscle fibers actually utilize carbohydrates and fat and protein. So it's a much more scientific approach yes. on how to handle exercise, what your body is doing, 
and how you can focus your nutrition and your intake to help support that level of activity that you're trying to achieve. So it's it's really getting down to the true science with it. It is. And that's what allows me. So when I have a patient or a client come and they say, oh, what about this? If I've never heard of that thing, I look up the basic premise and then I can resort to my anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, and I can say, yeah, that does actually kind of make sense. Or I don't know, but I don't think it's going to hurt you. So it allows me to really individualize things for that particular person based on what they're doing throughout the day. And, you know, the benefits that a good diet gives us are radically different than what exercise gives us. So you can manage high blood pressure with diet. You can also manage it with exercise. In that case, if I had to choose between the two, I may actually start with exercise first. Whereas if we're talking about blood sugar, depending on the individual, I may decide, hey, I think we should start with the what you're eating first. And why would you make that distinction? Why would I make that distinction? Because I mean, if you try to do both at once, you might explode. Well, and you know, often I think to myself, for diabetes in particular, and we can talk more about a specific diabetes diet, but a lot of times it has to do with how your body metabolizes what it is that you're eating. Correct. And whereas with high blood pressure, often it may not be as dietary related, you might find that the reason that somebody's blood pressure is up, you know, we've seen medically that reduction in salt can bring blood pressure down at the most, like maybe five, if you're super lucky, maybe 10 points of mercury. But if your blood pressure is 170, listen, you minus 10, that's still 160, that's still too high. Whereas retraining the blood vessels to release the tension to get to that point where they are not so so contracted themselves tends to be a more effective way to manage blood pressure as opposed to I'm going to lower your salt and if you do this for three months and you're successful all the time I'll get you down 10 points. I often see that the activity and the exercise tends to make the bodies and I almost tell people it's like your body's blood vessels forgot how to relax and when you exercise you teach them because you have to dilate these blood vessels to bring the oxygen to the muscles that you're using to do your walking swimming biking whatever and it's actually a more effective quicker way I don't know if there's ever been a study that compared diet versus exercise in management of hypertension in the immediate future and in the long term I'm sure somebody's done something like that but I'm sure I'm sure you know I mean I think the idea is do both yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and oftentimes, if it's feasible, it, it so everything you just said, I totally agree with. And the remarkable thing is, it does not take a lot of physical activity. You don't have to go get on a treadmill and run at seven and a half miles per hour for oh, 60 well, listen, minutes. Thank God, because I'd be dead. So it, it doesn't take a lot. And it, it really is amazing how quickly the vasculature responds to that. So yeah, I think you're right. So on. any form of exercise can augment and or be the starting place depending on your medical diagnosis. Yes, if your heart rate is getting up, you know, at a point where you feel it. And that's that's one thing, too, about the exercise physiologist is um, with that credential that I have, I am cleared to work with people that have chronic conditions that have been cleared to exercise. Sure. Heart conditions, lung conditions, you name it. They finally get to exercise and you know how to deal with those parameters. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with registered dietitian and exercise physiologist Kelly McDaniel from Queens Medical Center West. And we also have Judy Thompson, who is a 
registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator, and she is at Queens Medical Center in the Punchbowl campus. And when we come back, we're going to talk some more about specific dietary challenges. How do you manage knowing what to eat when you have a particular problem, whether it be gout or whether it be blood pressure or diabetes? And and where does nutrition fit into the whole profile if you're dealing with cancer, if you've been diagnosed, if you're treating this? How can you make sure that you have the right nutrition available when you're undergoing these other medical treatments? As always, we are here, but so are you. And if you want to join us, if you have a wonderful tip on what you've done to make nutrition a huge focus in your life, or if you've been able to manage to slip in some of those vegetables for your kids... You can share your expertise, and we all might learn something. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. You might rightly think of General Electric as the light bulb company, but GE executives say they've got some new ideas shining over their heads. We've totally changed our uh, direction at GE to be both digital and industrial, I think, you know, there are a few industries that are that are not going to fa- have to face into this. I'm Kai Rizdal, Innovation at Scale, next time on Marketplace from APM. This evening at 6. Now choose a tagline that will attract the woman you want. Secret, do what no one else is doing. I'm eight feet tall and I have one giant eye. This week on Selected Shorts, Big Love, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my guest today, Kelly McDaniel. She is a registered dietitian and exercise physiologist at Queens Medical Center West. We also have Judy Thompson. She is a diabetes certified diabetes educator and registered dietitian at Queens Medical Center Punchbowl. And we also have Mike from Kaneohe on the line. Mike, welcome to The Body Show. Aloha, Kathleen. Aloha. Yes. Aloha. What can we do for you? Well, I think that's a question. I'm, I've uh, been like doing studying nutrition for my own health, and there's been all this hype in the past about superfoods like goji berries and blueberries and fish oil, and none of them stand up to scrutiny over time. But what I've been doing lately is I read about probiotics, I've been eating a lot of Greek yogurt, and the last year I've managed to lose 20 pounds, but just by diet. But the question is, is are the probiotics really any different from the other superfood hype? Well, that's a really good question, and and I'm going to look to the nutritionist, but then I'm going to add a little info on probiotics because there's something that medical sciences is finally taking a closer look at called the the gut microbiome, which sounds yep. really fancy. Yep. Um, but let's see let's see what our guests today. Let's see what Kelly and Judy have to say because they're nutrition experts. I'm looking at you, Kelly, first, and Judy's got a little a minute or two before she has to add in. But Kelly, talk to me. Probiotics, love them, hate them. Well, I love the gut microbiome, and you've heard that before. Yeah, I'm awesome. I'm okay. in it. I'm glad you're going to talk about it. And uh, Mike, yeah, I love probiotics too. I mean, they 
are really the basis of good digestion. And because our gut is so confused with the things that we grew up eating, um, it really is out of balance. And these probiotics give it a chance to come back. And um, I do think this is the one time that I do really recommend supplements because you can get it in a much more substantial amount. It's not necessary. And you've had success, you know, with the fermented foods. Um, But yeah, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I think uh, even though it's a little more popular than before, not everybody knows about these uh, helpful little guys. So you don't think it's hype. You think this is really something that we are finally recognizing and appreciating not just like, hey, let's go get our goji berries, let's get our fish oil, and then find out later, not so good. Probiotics are here to stay. Yeah, because superfoods, they're like, it's so specific. It's kind of like just, you could just eat a variety and cover all your bases. But probiotics are very specific. And yeah, they just have the ability to, I mean, one of the things I do with my patients, if they're game, is we do actually try to change that environment in their gut to you know, kind of clean the slate, let them introduce foods in a more um, holistic way, and probiotics always help with that. Well, I found, though, if I eat yogurt and then go eat a bunch of candy bars, it doesn't help. (laughs) Really, Mike? Really? (laughs) I have a good diet, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the the gut microbiome is almost like another endocrine gland, you know, causing hormone changes throughout your body. Oh, you're so right, Mike. I mean, you're so on it. Judy, I want to give you a chance to, uh, you're shaking your head like, yes, Mike understands it. What are your thoughts on probiotics? Uh, Well said by Kelly, and I do support the use of probiotic foods because anytime you can get your nutrients in food form, you're picking up, um, you know, the nutrients that nature intended as well. And uh, there's always nutrients there that perhaps we're not even aware of, and they work together to um, enhance each other and provide the body with even more nutrition. So um, keep it up. All right, Mike. So here's my thought on the microbiome. I think that, you know, and they've done some real interesting studies in the last year or so. They, and and I'd love to know the researcher who got stuck doing this because I feel bad for them, but amazing work they did. They went ahead and collected stool samples from a tribe in the Amazon that was still living like naturally. They weren't really contacted very much. But these researchers came in and said, we want to research your poo. And basically, some scientists had to go out there and collect poo samples from this from this Amazonian tribe. But what they found is that the amount of bacteria in their poo was like 10 to 100 times greater than what happens to be in the stool of the average U.S. American. And part of the thing that they also correlated was that they also had a much lower risk of asthma, other autoimmune disorders, any other type of allergies that because of the theory is that because of their exposure to these variety of different bacteria on a regular basis, their bodies are actually healthier. Now, you can argue, hey, what happened to these folks? How come you don't see 90-year-old Amazonian tribe members? And yes, they do die of other of other problems. But part of what medical science is looking at, and at first it was like this alternative medicine sort of theory, but it's made its way to to your standard conventional medical practice, is that anytime we give antibiotics, anti 
probiotics. We kill both good and bad bacteria. We know that. But we're now realizing that depending on the different levels of good bacteria in your gut, you are 100% correct. It can alter different levels of hormones in your body. And we're not just talking about, you know, estrogen, progesterone stuff, not those kind of hormones. I mean the hormones related to digestion and how your body processes foods. And we're finding, you know, everybody was on this whole kick of gluten-free a while back. And gluten-free for some folks with celiac disease is very important. But then there's a whole group of people who said they feel better when they eat gluten-free, but they test negative for celiac because their intestines work better when they don't have certain types of products that they eat. And if they use a substitute, their bodies feel better. And it has everything to do with this gut microbiome. Essentially, I think probiotics are here to stay because our gut has been filled with bacteria since the advent of time, or at least of human beings. And so because we have bacteria in our body that naturally help us with digestive efforts, I don't think probiotics are that far off from what we should be doing. I think it's just sort of a way to return back to natural sources of foods is recognize food have bacteria and we need a certain amount of bacteria in our gut. And you're right. There's there's a whole movement looking at this. And you'll find articles now in the New England Journal of Medicine and the Journal of the American Medical Association really taking a look at this because we're finally taking it seriously. So you're on target, Mike. It is not just the latest hype. It is here to stay. And good job with your Greek yogurt. But you could also find bacteria and other foods that are a great source and keep up the good work. So happy to hear that somebody's, I'm happy to hear Kelly, I figured you would have heard of the gut microbiome. I'm like the last one in the group to hear about it. But, you know, I'm just glad to know that people out there are taking it seriously and taking it to the next step. And thank you to that poor researcher whose job it was to collect poo. Good for him because he made a huge difference in medical science. All right. We have got James from Kalihi on the line. James, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, would Would the probiotics that you've been talking about help with constipation? Oh, I'm getting some shakes of yes and heads that are saying absolutely. Great question, James. Does probiotics help with constipation? Judy, we'll go with you first. Um, and, and I'll just tell you right now that a lot of the people that I see in my office who have problems with constipation, when I mention things like probiotics and they do it or there's that yogurt activia that you know they're always singing about, uh, mm-hmm. They tend to resolve some of their gut issues, constipation included. So I'm going to say yes, but I'm going to listen to the nutritionists and see what they have to say. Judy, okay. probi- I mean, probiotics, constipation, does it seem to cure it? Seems to help. And I would also uh, look at, uh, don't forget the standbys of adequate fluids and fiber in your diet as well. So high fiber foods are always our uh, plant foods, adequate vegetables and fruits and whole grains. I do all of that, still have problems. That's well, why I'm thinking about pro- probiotics. Well, and here's the question ask yourself, James. Would it hurt? No, I hope not. Exactly, and that's kind of the idea. I think what hurts is constipation, personally. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it's it's a very interesting thought. Now, sometimes we have to consider that, you know, I often tell people who are older, hey, listen, if you are lucky enough to be this healthy at 90, recognize mm-hmm. your body doesn't move so fast, your bowels may not move so fast, don't get so worried. So it also depends on what is your definition of constipation. And some people say, if I don't go every morning at eight o'clock, I'm constipated. Mm -hmm. And yet that's not truly being constipated. So, Mm -hmm. so again, we have to be careful when we say, 
yes, go take probiotics, although I do think it's, in your case it's a good idea, but consider that constipation could be a symptom of something else. We're just assuming that we're talking no, about... Healthy as a horse. Exactly. I'm going to say yes to that because, you know, we're just assuming we're talking about what we would call constipation of another etiology. You're describing that you're healthy, you've had everything checked out, and by the way, you just have this bowel issue, in which case fiber bring it on it's insoluble our body doesn't dissolve it but somehow our body likes it Uh, kelly your thoughts on probiotics for constipation should james just try it out well i definitely think there's nothing wrong with just trying it out um but james if you try it and it doesn't give the result that you're thinking i just wanted to throw out a couple other things to consider um i know you said you're pretty healthy but just consider your kind of activity level what you're doing in the week if your abdomen is not getting that movement um that comes with physical activity the colon... i do about 300 ab exercises every other day and on the days i'm not doing that i'm swimming or surfing or paddleboarding yeah so that definitely doesn't sound like an issue and then the only other thing i would point out in addition to what judy had mentioned about fiber and fluid is um, maybe kind of check and see, is there certain foods that you tend to get more constipated with? Um, The most common culprits are dairy products, uh, cheese in particular, and then sometimes people have problems with different types of kind of meat in general, chicken, anything. Um, But some people Mm -hmm. may respond more to uh, beef or, you know, it just kind of depends on on what you're eating in in your body's makeup. Okay. Well, thank you, ladies. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, James. You're a pretty active, healthy guy, and I'm Mm -hmm. happy to know that you do that much exercise on a regular basis. You've really put a lot of thought into this, so good job, and hopefully we'll resolve this constipation issue for you. Um, Judy, I've got a question. You mentioned fiber, and, uh, and we had a little shy caller who wanted to know, soluble versus insoluble fiber, what's the difference? Which one should they eat? It's good to get uh, both. Um, It's harder to maybe see or find soluble fiber. That's the one that's kind of gummy in foods. Like if you have you ever made oatmeal and and you don't eat it right away and it gets a little uh, gummy on the top. Yeah, I thought that was gel. I thought that was the gross part. Jill, that's that's what soluble fiber is. It's still kind of (laughs) gross. And and that is quite effective. Uh, I mean that counts. That's fiber. And it it's good for constipation. It's good for cholesterol. It's it's good for all so, the stuff so that fiber you, does for us. If you cook the oatmeal and there's the ick part on the top, you should eat it. Of course. All right. <laughs> of course. It's also in fruits. Um, soluble fibers in fruits. It's um, and then there, the other kind is the insoluble fiber, uh, which is the kind of pokey fiber, like on whole wheat or the brown rice. Um, so that's what they call the insoluble fiber. So Metamucil, which one is that? That's more of the sol- uh, soluble fiber. Okay. If I were to go ahead and say, go get some fiber, and, uh, and somebody were to say, okay, but I don't like oatmeal or whatever they might say, what would be an easy source of fiber? Like, do they have fiber pills? Are they effective? Well, they do. They have fiber pills. But Is that just a cheater's way? It, it can, you can use the fiber pills. Again, it's good to get the whole foods. Remember, our, our goal with a healthy diet remember, is Judy, whole you're looking natural at me. foods. You're talking about me not wanting to eat uh, bad foods. Okay. So get it from a regular whole food. But if you're desperate and you're told to get in more fiber, you could look for some of those fiber sources. I said mm-hmm. Metamucil and you made a face. Kelly, was it because you've tried it and you don't like it? I the just, flavor is so wonderful. I just... 
you know, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, when you look at it in the container, how is that fiber? We're talking about fiber bulking up and being sticky, and I just don't think that's going to cut it if you're trying to, you know, get your bowels moving. Um, if you had to, you know, because I have these people, then I would say look for psyllium husk powder. It is not going to be fun, and you're not going to love it. Um, but if you follow those instructions on there, it it does um, provide some relief. So if you had to choose okay. one, that would be the so one. So if you're going fiber, you're going psyllium husk, and it starts with a P. Yeah, P S Y L L I U M. Don't ask me how I know. Trust me, I know. I might have once called it psyllium. I don't know. That could have been me. Maybe I'll just deny that. Okay, so good sources of fiber, and either one is going to help you. But if you're constipated, go for your psyllium husk. And if you're not constipated, get in some fiber and try and find it in natural foods, and that will be the best for you. And if you make oatmeal, eat the gooey stuff. Apparently, it's good for you. All right, fine. I'll think of you, Judy, next time I eat gooey oatmeal stuff. All right, we've got Deborah on the line from Kaneo. Hey, Deborah, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, first, I want to say thank you, Dr. Kozak, because about a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and you had a show with Dr. Peterson and Dr. Shirazi, and it happened right after I got diagnosed, and it was such a help to me, so thank oh, you. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm glad and, to know that. And also, I want to say that I've been doing a lot of what they said in the beginning of the program. I changed my diet to whole foods, and I exercise six times a week, and I've lost 40 pounds. Fantastic. So that's been great. But my question comes down to um, after you have a diagnosis of cancer, which I'm doing well, I'm past, I'm cancer-free now, but um, I've eliminated dairy from my um, diet and beef and um, things like that. But what, what things should I be maybe making sure I include or exclude? And should I be concerned about organics and pesticides and things like that? Excellent question, Deborah. Fantastic. Because Judy actually teaches a class that she gives once a month, I think. Is that right, Judy? And so, yeah, you cover some of these topics. But uh, Judy, tell me first, you know, here's Deborah. She's done great. She had cancer. She got treated. She's cancer free. Fantastic. For someone in that situation, what are some of the foods that they should make sure that they're getting in their diet? Or or ingredients, whether we say they be vitamins or minerals, what should they be focusing on? The evidence supports a plant-based diet, so um, vegetarian if you can handle it, or just more uh, plant-based protein sources, um, not necessarily giving up meat and um, animal protein, but less red meat, uh, more chicken and fish, more plant protein sources such as beans um, or nuts for protein, um, lots and lots of vegetables and fruits and whole grains. Um, that type of a, of, a, of a diet. Okay, so let's, let's take it a little step further and say, all right, so here's Deborah. She's, she's dealt with her cancer. She has treated it. She's cancer-free. She's watching the red meat. She's not eating the dairy. Um, vitamins, should she take them? Should she not? Are these good ideas? Antioxidants. You know, we always hear about different types of problems that we think 
if we had antioxidants, that would get rid of the free radicals in our body. And I'm like, I've got radicals in my body? <laughs> what, are you kidding me? So, like, should someone like Deborah be going in for vitamins and supplements? Are those things that she should really be focusing on? What do you counsel the people that you talk with who have had cancer or who have had it about what they should do with those elements of their diet? Depending on the person, if they um, are not able to f or don't, for whatever reason, eat certain food groups, they might need a supplement. For example, without the dairy, she may need a source of calcium. Um, if I'm not sure how old Deborah is, she may need a source of iron. We're all 29 in this room, Judy. Then, we have not <laughs> aged past 29. You know, uh, watching out postmenopausal don't necessarily need iron, but if, if you're premenopausal, mm -hmm. you may need a source of iron depending on um, what sources of iron are in your diet. Um, and and a, a multivitamin can be safe, you know, daily multivitamin. Antioxidants are found in the plant-based diet, and that's why they recommend the plant-based diet. Again, when you take supplements of antioxidants, you're not getting the cofactors that are found in the food along with the antioxidant itself. So that's why the uh, the whole foods type of diet is what's recommended. Get your um, um, whole, uh, get your antioxidants and your uh, nutrients that way with the uh, food. Should I be concerned about the... Um you know, is it good enough to wash your produce, or should I be more concerned about finding organics or things like that, or that, does that matter in that process? It's good to wash it. If you can afford organic, that's great. Um, fortunately, the prices on organic are really coming down. Um, the American Cancer Society, uh, actually, their, um, their stand is that it would be better to have any produce uh, then if you can't afford organic, then none at all um, mm -hmm. or less at all because uh, there really isn't the evidence now to say that people should buy organic, that that really is um, necessary. So buy organic if you can. If you can't, wash it. Uh, buy, buy regular and wash it real well, um, and the research and will come in. Yeah, so I'm 40, and so I do, I do take calcium because um, I had a estrogen receptor cancer. So I'm getting depleted of all of my estrogen right now. So um, I do take the calcium, and so the dairy is partly kind of a concern of trying to get enough calcium in my diet. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Deborah, why did you cut out the dairy? Um, well, I'm lactose intolerant, okay. and then they want me to have hormone-free. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that's a good reason. So, lactose intolerance starts right there. But then I do understand with the hormone-free, and there are some milk products that do say that they are not associated with hormones. But you're right. I see your point. Whether or not it's it's a hormone or not, if you're lactose intolerant, that makes life a whole lot more difficult. Yeah, so, it's very okay. difficult to find both. <laughs> I bet it is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, well and like cashew milk things like that. Yeah. Or yeah. almond milk. I've yeah. never tried it, but everybody says it's good. Would I want to drink almond milk? Judy, is that good? So, right. Nut and milk? those are fortified now with um, calcium. So you can pick up your uh, uh, good sources of calcium that way. So the, you could get a different type of milk. And does almond milk have lactose? No. So it's lactose free. Correct. And you don't put hormones on almonds. I mean, I wouldn't think Not they would grow. I'm aware, aware of. of. Right. So I don't know, Deborah. I think you're going to be like an almond milk kind of girl. It's not Cashew soy. Milk is actually great. Is it really? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
All right. That's I'm going to cause a good consistency. I like that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to try it one of these days because I've been sort of scared of it. I think I'll have to close my eyes and be like, somebody put it in front of me and I'll drink it and don't tell me what it is and probably try and guess it. But all right. So you found some good dietary things. I guess, Deborah, really, I mean, the one thing I would focus on is you've, you've done such a great job treating and recovering from the cancer. And now's going to be a time when you really look for organic and or whole foods and you really try and avoid some of the stuff that we're hearing about that has to do with pesticides and BPA and water bottles and all these things that they say could be associated with problems. And and it's it's a really hard thing. Now, because you're 40 and you had this estrogen receptor positive cancer, what you ate and or what you did did not cause your cancer. Okay. And so it's not like you did something bad that gave you cancer as a 40-year-old. It's not that you ate the wrong food that gave you cancer as a 40-year-old. You've done a remarkable job recovering from this and and taking treatment as much as you possibly can. So all of the good dietary things you do and all of the exercise are only going to help you live longer. But, you know, I've had a couple of folks who have come in and who have said to me, I feel like I did something bad. That's why I got this. And it's absolutely not because of anything you did personally. And you may not feel that way, but I'm just going to throw that out there because I had somebody maybe about two or three weeks ago come in and say, I must have done something bad because I got breast cancer and she was 42. And I said, it's not because you did anything bad. Keep doing all the good things you're doing and keep doing the exercise and the diet. And, and it's worked It's worked great for you. You lost 40 pounds. That's fabulous, Deborah. Keep up the good work. All right. So at this point, we are going to take a quick break. And when I come back, we will be here with Kelly McDaniel and Judy Thompson, both certified diabetes. uh, Well, Judy, you're a certified diabetes educator. Kelly, you're, you're an exercise physiologist and both registered dietitians. And we're going to take some more callers who have some great questions. And we're going to talk about Judy's class that she teaches. If you want to call us and or have a nutrition question, please give us a holler at 941-3689, toll free 877-941-3689 from our neighbor islands. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All Things Considered has been there through controversial wars. Thousands of young people came to Washington. National disasters. Challenger, go and throttle up. The explosion in the clear blue And breakthrough sky. moments. Just let it sink in. An African-American president of the United States of America. Four decades of bringing you the news on All Things Considered every afternoon. Weekdays from noon to two. New Letters on the Air visits the early genius of now MacArthur Fellow, Ben Lerner. The Kansas native gives insight into his book, Angle of Yaw. My whole life I've seen these images of the planet seen from above. And one thing the book is interested in is the way that that image, the way we see ourselves, has replaced a more traditional philosophy in which we imagine God seeing us. Ben Lerner on New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with exercise physiologist, registered dietitian Kelly McDaniel at Queens Medical Center West 
and certified diabetes educator, registered nutritionist Judy Thompson at Queens Medical Center East, although they don't call it that. I know they call it Punchbowl. I just thought I'd throw that in there. And uh, right before the break, we were talking with Deborah, who's done a fabulous job treating and recovering from breast cancer, wanted to know a little bit about how she can eat clean foods. And Kelly, you had an idea. You said there's a clean 15 and a dirty dozen. What's that about? My head, I can't remember the um, agency that put it out. Darn it. But you know um, what but, they are? But if you search it, yes, okay. I do. So, Deborah, I'm glad you brought this up because it'll help out a lot of people, too. If you are questioning organic or not and you just, you know, you can't buy everything organic, if you look up the Clean 15 Dirty Dozen complete list, you'll actually get 100 um, fruits and veggies, and they're all listed in order of which ones have been shown to retain more pesticides. Interesting. So basically, if you focus on the clean 15, and those are the ones that you'll be able to really maximize in your diet, you can be rest assured when you purchase those less likely to retain pesticides or chemicals or anything in it. Correct. And if you then you'll know if I'm going to buy organic, these are going to be the ones that I really want to focus on. All right. So give me an example. Give me an example of the clean 15. The Queen 15. So Just one things, of them. I, I mean, I want 15 of them, but I'm throwing you like, you know, right here, right now. And right? there's actually more. Yeah. And I hope I don't get this wrong, but I think oranges are on there. So things with a thicker peel versus like celery. That's bananas. like top of the list. Oranges and bananas. All right. They're both on there. All right. Well, while we talk with our next caller, I'm going to have you look that one up. Kelly, you're going to Google it while we're on air. Okay. Sachi's on the line from Kona. Sachi, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Um, I've got a couple things to tell you that are pretty important. Um, I, I completely changed my diet when I found out about palm oil and how half of Borneo's rainforest has been cut down and all. That means half the orangutans have been obliterated. And I found out that 50% of all processed products, including food, has palm oil in it. And they, it has a whole lot of different names for it. So I decided to change my diet completely. And I, what you're talking about, the grains and the, and the fiber, what I start, sorry about these roosters, somebody's keeps dumping roosters off in a cage. All right, Tachi. Well, let's talk a little okay. bit about anyway, the, the nutrition aspect. That I started making. I don't know if you've ever tried tabbouleh. Yep, you know delicious. Yes, I do. Okay, well, tabbouleh can be really doctored up with, with um, garlic and, and tomatoes and, you know, olive oil and just about anything you want to put in there. You can even change it to a Mexican kind of a... Thing. You can add fish to it. All right, Sashi. You so you found tabbouleh. Sure, is a good you don't source. Have to okay. Use vulgar wheat, but I just that is like what I live on now, practically, and um, it's really good. You keep it in the refrigerator. It's like a salad with grain in it, and you can put all sorts of spices on it. You could make it uh, Indian food ish. You could add sauces to it, and it is really good. It really tastes great. Okay, so the you've made some great dishes. All right. I found out that uh, I have chocolate trees growing. I have a half acre, and I have a lot of different herbs and, and food and coconuts and everything. Anyhow, I started fermenting my own chocolate, and um, you just cut it open and take the chocolate and put it on banana leaves and let it ferment for a week, wash them off, dry them in the oven, um, with the pilot light on, and um, those have 300 antioxidants as opposed to blueberries that only have 33. 
So ch- chocolate, when it dries, it looks like an almond, but it's black inside. And if you drink coffee, you can put it in with the coffee beans when you grind them. All right. So you've come up with some great nutrition suggestions, Sachi. You've looked at tabbouleh. You've looked at other quinoa. And now you have chocolate dried on bananas. It sounds like it sounds like I'm coming to Kona to try out some of that from you. But uh, it sounds like you got some great ideas on ways to find nutritious ways that are also eco-friendly in a way that you can help figure out a way to save the planet, but also eat healthy. And that is absolutely fantastic. Thanks for sharing that information. And um, hi to the roosters. Who thought they would be crowing at, you know, 5.50 p.m.? But uh Good that uh, good that they're out there because we need roosters too. In addition to orangutans and Borneo. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We have a Dr. Joshi from Maui. Welcome to the Body Show. Aloha. How are you? Fabulous. And yourself? Doing great. Um, I had a couple of quick questions. Um, you may be aware that there were some studies done with flatworms that showed that giving them antioxidants actually decreased their lifespan because the antioxidants started acting like oxidants because once they sucked up all the free radicals, they would then start attacking the DNA. And all the recent studies, glaze take lots of B vitamins, C vitamins, and E and selenium, and I've found that all the recent studies show that all those vitamins are great for cancer because they help cancer kill you quicker, but they're not very good for the patient because they don't, don't improve the patient's life. So... I was wondering if you could talk about that part because the recent studies have all almost made me explain to all my patients, don't take any extra vitamins unless you're going to be eating the right types of foods. Well, that's a good point because, you know, we talked a little bit earlier on the show that getting your vitamins and minerals and things from actual foods is probably better than getting them from any particular individual supplement. So kind of goes along with what you're saying. Don't overdose on your B or your C or your E or anything else that you hear could be good for you, everything in moderation. Okay, I'll have... uh, have And the the last thing I want to tell you is that about almond milk, they only there's only about four almonds in each half gallon of almond milk. So if you're going to make almond milk, make it yourself, because otherwise you're paying a tremendous amount of money for four or five almonds in water. Well, that's a good point because I was about to go get some almond milk. So yeah, I appreciate you telling that. me that. Yeah, make sure that you know make it myself, which is complicated, or get Judy or Kelly to make it for me, which I, I'm I'm suggesting they make. Oh, uh, Kelly said she'll do it. I have to pay her. All right, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll consider that, Kelly. But you brought up a really good point, and you know I want to address that point. And Judy, you you talk to people about nutrition and cancer all the time, and you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking with Deborah, whole foods are a better source of actual nutrients. And, you know, I know that there are some questions and there have been, even in the traditional medical literature, they used to say, take vitamin E, prevent heart disease. And then they said, oops, don't do that. It wasn't so good for you. And then vitamin C is great. You can never take too much. And then don't combine it with E because it's toxic. You know, we hear all these things all the time. For your classes that you that you teach, the general principle regarding vitamins. Do you tell them to go get specific supplements or should folks just really focus on nutritional food, nutritious foods they can eat on their own? No, in fact, um, we tell them if they're on um, treatment, they really should avoid supplements because that can interfere with cancer treatment. The, okay. the, um, uh, the high doses of supplements can... Um, 
They can actually be detrimental protect, to some of your treatments. They can protect okay. the cancer cells sure. that the treatment is trying to um, destroy. Okay. So it's always a good idea to inform uh, your treatment team of any supplements that you're on, any antioxidants or minerals, selenium. And find out if it's safe because it might C. not be. And be open to not taking that should that be the case. That's right. 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 Always declare any herbal things or supplements that you're taking because it may be inappropriate to be taking that while you're on treatment. All right. Well, we've got we've got time for, we have a couple of callers. I'm going to have to ask them to make it quick. Greg from the Big Island. Greg, do you have a quick question or a thought? We've got just a couple uh, minutes left. Uh, two quick thoughts. Number one, about the man with the constipation. I'm a psychologist uh, from Michigan. I work with my wife, who's a family doctor. Um, we have had uh, success. All your ideas about constipa- constipation were excellent. But in addition, I'd like to just mention very quickly magnesium. A lot of people, uh, unfortunately, run magnesium deficient, and how they typically uh, experience that is with cramping. But uh, we found that it's also very helpful sometimes with people with constipation. How you take it is you take enough magnesium until you have bowel intolerance. And uh, that's a polite way of saying diarrhea. The second quick point is that I am a cancer survivor. I had sinus, sinal nasal undifferentiated cancer uh, 11 years ago. Uh, I'm the only known survivor 11 years later. It's a very rare and aggressive disease. My point being that uh, if I did not follow what my wife and I and other people now call integrative oncology, I would not be calling your show. What does that mean? Yes, I took radiation and chemotherapy for palliative care only, but the doctors had no other advice. My wife and other people researched cell biology, and supplements are not all created equal. Some of the research about supplements is off because it's not, it's apples and oranges. And uh, I still take a lot of supplements. Without them, I wouldn't be talking to your radio show. So, um, and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of advice in our book called The Good Fight. Um, Anyway, uh, that's enough of your time. So, but I wanted to make those two quick ideas. All right, Greg, you've made some great points. And the first one is constipation, magnesium. There's actually this prescription we give people for uh, magnesium if they get super constipated. It's like this weird drink that they have, and it definitely helps. But your other point is well taken. You know, here you are 11 years after surviving a cancer, and you practiced something called integrative oncology. And I think the concept of integrative medicine is something that is coming to the forefront, and more and more people are getting excited and interested about it. And hopefully we'll see a bit more of that taking place in the future as well. That kind of combines the ideas of traditional conventional medicine and also alternative and complementary medicine and says, let's put it together. It's not either or. What if we were to do both. And I think that combination is an excellent way to respect both areas and say, we may not understand everything in complementary or alternative medicine, but if it hasn't been shown to do harm and could be helpful, let's work together. And I think, Judy, you brought that up as a good point as well. I want to give you just a few a few brief moments to mention your upcoming class, because anyone who wants to know about cancer nutrition can do so. Judy, give me the, give me the details. When, where, and how? 
Oh, the classes are held monthly at Queen's Medical Center. It's part of the uh, I Can Cope series uh, from American Cancer Society. And if anyone is interested, they're every fourth Thursday of the month, uh, 10 in the morning till 12. And the phone number to call is the Queen's Referral Line at 691-7117. All right. So that's a great opportunity to hear more from Judy and to hear more about cancer and nutrition and how you can really work on all this together. I want to thank you. I also want to thank Kelly McDaniel, exercise physiologist and nutritionist, both of you from Queen's Medical Center. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to the podcast. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to talk more nutrition on The Body Show. Mm-hmm.